I'm deaf in one ear. Uh, this ear, I'm deaf. So it's really funny when you're singing and you can't hear yourself only in your head. You try it, stick your finger in your ear and sing till you hear what it sounds like. It's very interesting. Uh, um, yeah, um, it's great to be here. And I, yeah, I love being in this church and I love ministering to you people and sharing God's word with you and being with you. It's such a privilege. I've, it's almost six years since I came here and it's just wonderful. Um, one of the things I love to do is to go walking. And uh, I don't know if they've got a picture there. Yes, that's me, if you guess. Um, first on the left is that's at the, be at the top of the Old Man of Coniston, which is up to about 2,635 feet. And then the other side, that's uh, Mount Tide in Tenerife, if you've been there. And I confess, I didn't walk up the, uh, what is it? 13,188 feet. Um, we took a bus and a coach and then there was a, a chairlift. Um, but I love doing that and I would, love to, I would have loved, I had a friend who uh, worked in Nepal as a, a missionary for a good number of years and he always said, well, you must come out and we'll go and walk up to the foothills of the Himalayas, but it never happened. And I thought that would be good, having porters to carry all your gear and so on. Um, <clears throat> I'd, you know, I'm going to skip some stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I was going to tell you about this guy called Jim. Um, this is a true story. And uh, Jim was, well, he was a miser. Uh, and he would... Um, he would, you know, he would go around, he would go, well, <laughs> yes, wherever he went, he was, he was taking jams and sugars off restaurant tables, uh, and he never left a tip. He hoarded little shampoos and soap bars and razors from the locker room of his country club and stuff like that. Um, at 50, he, he invited <laughs> a, a a young lady, I mean, a younger lady, to have a meal with him, and he took her to a chain restaurant. And as they sat down, and before they even looked at the menu, he says, "We're going to do this Dutch, okay?" And she said, "Okay." And uh, <laughs> when the wait, wait, waiter came round with the bill at the end, um, the lady got her money out and set it on the table, and he pulled out a buy one get one free card. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, put it on the table. Needless to say, the relationship didn't go any further. But that was him. And, and uh, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, all that he did, uh, he was in New York with a friend, and they, they ended up at Times Square, and there was a Superman impersonator, and he posed with Jim uh, as Wayne took a photograph, and the Superman then stuck out his hand, expecting to get some money, but uh, Jim said to him, my name is crime and crime don't pay. <laughs> and uh, upset the superman and his friend. So that was him. But, but, um, Jim, he, he taught typing in a school, it was a, while, a long while ago. And he, he went into schools and when he, took ill, he got cancer. When he went into hospital, the hospital was inundated 
with children from the school and pupils from the school who came to see him. And one little girl, and they wrote lots, there was lots online that was written about him and, and their appreciation of him. One little girl said the first day she went to school, um, she got a panic attack and she didn't know what to do and she was rushing around the school and she ended up in, in the auditorium and she was sitting on the front there by herself in tears and Jim came in, he sat down beside her and just uh, allowed her to cry. And uh, he, he just waited and waited with her. Uh, and then he said one or two things that uh, he, he did. He offered her a handkerchief um, or a tissue, but he gave her actually his handkerchief. And it made her cry even more because she said it reminded her of her father who always carried a handkerchief with her. And, and, but she used the handkerchief. And, and then he said something and he quoted a line that had come from a, a card that she had received, a bereavement card, when her father died. And, and that touched her deeply. And he just waited with her and waited with her. And then he said, are you ready to go now? And he, so he took her back to the classroom and he apologized to the teacher. And he said, I'm sorry, but I needed her to, to do something with me. And that was Jim. And hundreds of, hundreds of kids turned up um, in hospital. Even the day before he died, they were there just to express their love, um, an amazing man. Two sides to personality, and that made me think about what I'm talking about today. Um, you know, we've been blessed with this Inside Out series. We've been blessed with seven inspiring and challenging talks. I think we've had inner surrender, inner worship, inner depth, inner prayer, inner peace, inner joy, and last week, inner generosity. And by the way, what I said about Jim has nothing to do with last week's sermon. Um, and today, I have the joy of speaking about the inner life. Well, we've had seven talks so far. That's the number of perfection, isn't it? So I think you've covered everything in those talks. There's nothing more left for me to say, having listened to most of them. Well, I'm not sure. What is your inner life? How you measure your inner life? I read this suggestion, if you can start the day without caffeine, if you can always be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can risk complaining, resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without alcohol, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, then you're probably the family dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> is there a checklist for the inner life? I don't know. The inner life for me is about my relationship with God the place where God interacts with my spirit and touches my mind and my heart and will, my thinking, my feelings and my desires. How is your inner life? How is that inner life relationship with God in your life? You know, we have to continually cleanse ourselves of all that's not right in body and spirit and make holiness perfect in the fear of God, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7. 
We are to be increasing in the knowledge of God, as Paul says in Colossians 1, and our emotions and desires are to, are to conform increasingly to the desires of the Spirit. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And the desires of the Spirit include an increase in godly emotions, such as love, joy, and peace, uh, and all the other fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Now, there's always room for growth in our inner life, our relationship with Jesus. And today I want to challenge and encourage you into some godly mountaineering, because that's uh, what I love. Um, and... Um, some godly mountaineering that will bless your inner life and draw you closer to God. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Um, someone said that Ephesians is the Alps of the New Testament. Actually, I should confess it's James Alexander Stewart who said that, and he wrote a book uh, the title of which was The Alps of the New Testament, a Christian Efficiency Course Bible Study Handbook. And um, I've been trying to get a copy of it, but they're all in America and they cost a fortune now because they're so rare. But um, I'm going to read from the, the Bible, a real Bible, um, from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Um, I, have you ever been to a donkey derby? They're quite popular in Ireland, aren't they? The Irish over there, yes? Well, I've only been to one, and that was when I was a kid down in Enniskillen, and there was an under-15s race on their donkeys, and there was a young girl, I think she was the youngest one of the crowd of young teenagers, and um, she was disqualified. She won, but she was disqualified because she had a stick and a string with a carrot attached to the end, and she dangled it in front of the, the donkey's nose, and uh, she was disqualified. Well, today I feel I'm dangling a carrot before, before you. Um, in fact, there are three carrots, and these are so compellingly attractive as we, like Paul, seek to finish the race well. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the, grace, the, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, 
but also to all who have loved his appearing. Are you aiming to win the race? Are you confident of the prize? Are you depending on the power of the Spirit? Are you welcoming Christ and his kingdom rule more and more into your life? Are you experiencing his amazing love more and more? I want to talk about three mountain peaks for Christians. Three mountain peaks for Christians. And I want to, this is just, this is really wonderful. I think these are the, they're, they're in this passage of three great phrases. And there are three mountain peaks that will challenge us. But if we move up these peaks, your life will never be the same. Um, if you've received forgiveness and salvation, do you realize that that was just the beginning of your Christian life? Have you moved on with God since then? Because some people become Christians and they're so great that they're forgiven and I'm going to heaven and that's it, I come to church on Sunday. My question is, are you getting on with life as before or are you growing in your relationship with God and your growth in serving his church and reaching out to the lost. So let's look at the three mountains we must move on to. Firstly, we are to receive the Holy Spirit's strength, as Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Receive the Holy Spirit's strength so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why do we need this power? Well, I have three reasons. There's the pram problem, which I've talked about. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still in the flesh. A baby or an infant needs to be fed to grow needs to learn to walk, not be pushed around in a pram when he's 19 years old. Now, you may have given your life to Christ at 30 or 50, but if you're not feeding on the Word and not living in prayer in relationship with Jesus and using the gifts that God has for you to build His church and reach the lost, then you're an infant in Christ. Uh, or maybe it's like you've been up the mountain of conversion been there, done that, taken the photos, and, you know, if you go to the top of the old man of Coniston, there's always sheep that try to get into your rucksack to get your food, and they, they love sandwiches, <laughs> which is very strange, but they want to steal your food, and, and you're, you know, if you're in that situation where you've been to that point of being converted to Christ, uh, but you've not moved on, you are in danger of the enemy stealing so much from you. He will rob you of your faith sustenance in the word and prayer and deprive you of any vision of going any further in God. That's the first thing. Secondly, the second uh, reason we need this power is because of the principalities and powers problem. 
In Ephesians 6, later on, this is that whole chapter, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, and so on. We have a spiritual enemy. We will be attacked. Our inner life needs to be strengthened against, his, against this power of the enemy, his subtlety, his deception. He can appear as an angel of light. He targets the inner man to lead you away from the truth and into the snares of sinful habits. We must put on the whole armor of God. Paul speaks about the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. We are more than conquerors. And the third reason we need this spirit is because of the great possibilities that God has for each one of you here today. Great possibilities. There is great potential in your life if the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. There's nothing that you cannot do. You may think I'm not educated. I'm not very well educated, really. You may think I haven't had an education. I couldn't speak, preach a sermon. Well, you look at some of the great men of God in the past. James Alexander Stewart left school at 14. He brought revival right across Europe. There's nothing that God cannot do with a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't have a tiny vision of how God can use you. Let it get as big as the possibilities that God has for you. Spurgeon said, there is a point in grace as much above the ordinary Christian as the ordinary Christian is above the worldling or the non-Christian. An ordinary Christian or an extraordinary Christian. You see, if you move in the power of, spirit, of the Spirit as Paul wants us to here, then we're, you're moving up the mountain. You're going from being a Christian to being a Christian at another level. Because the power of the Spirit of God is within you. He can and wants you up to the mountain from infanthood to adulthood. He can and wants to make you a warrior equipped to fight the battle. Don't assume God has nothing for you, nothing more for you. He called Moses at 80. He called the fearful Gideon to defeat the Midianites. He called the big-headed and overconfident Peter to be a powerful apostle and witness. There are no great people in the church. There are only people with a great God. Yes, God always has more for you. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit more and more in our lives. It's an ongoing thing. Uh, we have a picture, do we? Oh, I forgot. Yes. That, just go back to that, please. 
back to the previous picture. That's, uh, that's the new HMRC offices being built down in town. I'm taking photographs all the time of them because I'm fascinated by it. I mean, look, there's a, a wall there that's being propped up by girders. That's going to be part of the new building. It's an old, the old building that was there. That's being kept. That red bit's being knocked down. On the right-hand side, there's, scaffold, there's the scaffolding for the... the Girders being put up for the new building, and in the foreground, you've got these tractors digging a deep hole there to put in foundations for the building. I mean, it's a picture of, of God's work in our lives, doesn't he? He wants to demolish a lot of stuff in us, and he wants to build, he wants to put strong foundations to our lives, and there's a little piece he's holding us up with and holding us our lives together. Isn't that it? Say yes, John. <laughs> um, okay, we'll go to the next one. Do you recognize this place? Some of you might be old enough. Uh, well, it's the Stella B Power Station that used to be down at um, Bladen. Some of, uh, and in December 1955, a blue flash in the power station caused a breakdown of electricity. And the result was that 20,000 miners were trapped underground. Uh, industry was stopped at the Tyneside shipyards and engineering works. Operations were delayed in hospitals because they had no x-rays. There were no traffic lights, chaos on the roads. Shops were closed at the busy Christmas rush. The BBC was off air for a couple of hours. Wages were late for workers because the computing machines uh, stopped working. Uh, biscuits burned at South Shields factory uh, because the electric power conveyors taking them from the gas heater oven stopped. So they were stuck in the oven until they got burnt. 400,000 people had their electricity cut off in their homes. The calculated cost then was 35 million pounds. Loss of power can be very costly and no more so than in our lives and in our churches. If we try to operate without the power of the Spirit, we can do nothing. The primary need is not for better programs, better buildings, I love our buildings, uh, greater financial resources or more gifted men and women. The need is still for more power from on high. The need is still for more power from below for power from on high. The church in our nation is still, by and large, a subnormal church. It's not like the Pentecostal church, which I believe is a normal church. We're not living and depending on the power of the Spirit in the way that we should. I think, you know, we're good here. We believe in the Holy Spirit's power. But are we really seeing all of the power at work of the Spirit of God? Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Um, we live in a physical world that focuses on the body, keep fit, exercise, watch your diet, cycling craze, beauty craze, everything to keep signs of the old age away. Um, I do my 40 minutes exercise five days a week. Um, we have a responsibility to care for our bodies because they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I was reading, oh, I copied it out. Um, uh, a great missionary, uh, Dr. Timothy Richards, um, his biography writes about a striking incident. He said, Dr. Richards had given to an educated, cultured Chinese gentleman a copy of the New Testament 
and this gentleman promised to read it. When he met Dr. Richards again, he, sa uh, he said to him, he said, I have read the New Testament through as you promised. Well, said the doctor, what was the deepest impression upon your mind in reading the New Testament? And to the missionary's surprise, he replied, the wonderful truth that the body may be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful truth? That is, yeah, I mean, we, we just take that for granted. But it is such a wonderful, amazing thing that God would make our bodies a temple for his Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's the work of the Spirit. For this life, light, moment, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory as we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Paul's affliction was persecution. For most of us, it's probably sickness or old age or whatever. And, and yeah, I can tell you all about that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing when you see old people who are full of the Lord, who are getting near the end of their lives and, uh, and they're still full of the Lord. I, I'm always reminded of old man Moore in the Presbyterian church when I was a child. He sat in the pew behind us. We all had our pews. Ours had doors on them. <laughs> and um, that was a great welcome for visitors because they never could figure out how to get into the pew to sit down. Um, but old man Moore sat behind us. He had a white beard. He looked at pictures of Moses that I had in books then. And he loved to sing the, the old metrical psalms, you know, Psalm 40, and I waited on the Lord my God and patiently did bear at length to me he did incline my voice. Well, I've forgotten the rest of it. And he forgot his words. He would sing at the top of his voice and, and then he would forget the words and he would just sort of hum or loud. And uh, it was really strange. But you know, he loved the Lord. And one Sunday he went home from church. He sat down in his armchair and he spoke words that Jacob spoke. This is none other than the house of God, the very gates of heaven. And he closed his eyes and died. Just so living close to God. This power comes according to the riches of his glory or in proportion to his riches. God gives us lavishly as only God can. Philippians 4, 18, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God is a lavish giver. There is no need he cannot meet. In, three, in chapter 3, 13 of Ephesians, Paul writes, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This, you see, this power is the opposite of what happens when we lose heart. Instead of giving in and giving up, when times are tough, we are to look to God for strength. And the purpose of this power, Paul says, is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Wow. Paul is praying for inner empowerment of the Spirit so that we might more deeply experience the presence of Christ himself. 
you know, many Christians that I talk to have had few experiences, if any, of the presence of Jesus. Have you known the real presence of Jesus? You know, you may say, but it's already in my heart since conversion. Is that not the same thing? No, I, I believe Paul is praying for a, an emotional increase or expansion of our experience of what is already a theological fact. We know that Christ has taken up residence in our hearts when we became Christians. But his desire through the Spirit is that he might exert an ever-increasing and progressively more powerful influence on our lives and in our hearts. That it will become more real to us that he's dwelling there in our hearts. And you know, as, when I used to live in Bournemouth, and we used to do a soup run in the, every evening, and we'd take a pram with a big urn of soup and go around all the homeless people in derelict houses. And we visited one, used to visit one man um, who lived in a derelict house. He had an angry Alsatian dog, and uh, in one corner of the room, from floor to ceiling, were beer and whiskey bottles stacked right up to the ceiling. And the place was cold and damp, obviously, and a little smelly. And I remember thinking, I don't mind visiting this guy a couple of times a week, but I could never live here. And, yeah, and I would hate Jesus to say that. I wouldn't hate Jesus. I would, I would be disturbed if Jesus was to say, I don't mind visiting you a few times a week but I'm not wanting to live in you. Jesus wants to live permanently with you and I. He wants to take up the word dwell, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. That word dwell is a very strong word. It's not just come and stay with you a few days or be in and out, but it's to take up residence to be a permanent family member. He wants to live permanently with you. I'll say it again. Jesus wants to live permanently in you. You should be shouting hallelujah and praising God and cheering when you hear those words. But he is sensitive to sin. We used to have a couple of doves who built a nest on top of the security light at the back of a house. And I always was trying to get out the bathroom, look out the bathroom they take a photograph but they were very sensitive birds and they would fly off I did manage to get a photo and I was going to look for it but I couldn't find it today but in John 1 32 John the Baptist says I saw the spirit come down from heaven and remain on Jesus contrast that with the day of Pentecost when we read that uh, what seemed like tongues of fire rested on the apostles not remained the Holy Spirit is sensitive to sin. There is no sin in Jesus, so the Spirit remained on him. But you and I, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and as a result of that, his felt presence leaves. So I'm asking, are you, are you cleaning up the areas in your life that Jesus doesn't like, the sin that needs to be sorted out? You can find lists in Colossians 3 or later on in Ephesians. There's lots of lists. It's good to go through them and, and read them and do something about it. 
He wants to have access to every part of your life. He wants to make changes. Uh, this last week with Mike, I've been going down onto the, to the boiler room and, and taking out all the rubbish that's down there. Mike's been taking it off to the tip and to clear up because we're going to have a fire inspection and they have told us that some of the stuff down there, it's dangerous. There's a fire risk. And I tell you, if there's stuff that you have hidden, the skeletons in the cellar of your life, maybe things that caused you pain and hurt and anger years ago and you're trying to push them away and forget about them, lock the door and don't do it. Let Jesus in. Let him work with him to clear out. Will you open the door? Are you welcoming him? Are you dealing? Are you sensitive to sin? We don't talk much about sin today, and the result is that sometimes we don't deal with it and take it as seriously as we should in our lives, but it hinders the real presence of Jesus in our lives. Does the Lord Jesus feel at home in your heart? That's Mountain Peak 1. Mountain Peak 2, receive Holy Spirit power to grasp the immensity of his love that you are being rooted and grounded in love, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That's worth another, wow, hallelujah, praise the Lord, applause, all the rest, is it not? The Holy Spirit power will help you to grasp the immensity of his love. This is not knowledge, but experience of God's love. And note that only God himself can impart this experience of love. His power is absolutely essential for it. Human willpower alone, together with all the, our good intentions, our fervent passion that we can work up, cannot produce the experience of God's love that Paul has in mind. How powerful how infinite, how amazingly and completely sufficient Christ's love is. His love is total, complete, eternal, and all-encompassing. It's wide. It reaches to every corner of our experience. It reaches to the whole world. We used to sing as a child, wide, wide as the ocean, high as the heaven above, deep, deep as the deepest sea. She knows it. It's God and my Savior's love. It's amazing. For his word teaches me that his love reaches me everywhere. It's long, continuing the whole length of our lives and then into eternity. It's high, it reaches to the heights of our celebration and elation. You know, celebration is good. Uh, you know, we, we need to sing celebratory songs that, are, that just raise our spirits. And yeah, Jesus is there, his presence and his love. It's deep. It reaches down to the depth of discouragement and despair and even to death. His love. To grasp the incalculable love of Christ, to know is to know what can't be known. It's a, what they call a, uh, what is the word, an oxymoron, where it's, it's a bit like, you know, Microsoft works. <laughs> For those of you who know, who know Microsoft, um, it's, you see, 
How can we know what can't be known? The love of Jesus, we can never know it all. We can know Christ's love in some measure, but we will never exhaustively comprehend it. No matter how much we learn, no matter how much we think we, how much we, think we know and see and feel and grasp, there is still always an infinity of love left over. But experiences of God's love are very, very special. Um, my first experience was at my conversion. I was reminded of, of it a few Sundays ago because um, I was converted back in March 2000. March? Yes. When did I convert? March 1965. And um, Dr. Kelly, who led me to the Lord after an evangelistic meeting in the church, he was a man who went into Long Cash internment camp and led lots of prisoners there to Christ. But afterwards, after I gave my life, I got on my knees and prayed and asked Jesus into my life. Uh, one of the elders of the church came over to me and he asked me, he said, he asked me how I was. And at that moment, it hit me. It hit me that Jesus loved me. It really hit me. I had tears and I could barely speak to answer him. I was overwhelmed by that amazing love of Christ. And a few Sundays ago, if you were here when I was speaking about the Lord's Prayer and reading it from Scripture, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The same thing, tears welling up. And after the, you know, and I had that, just another experience of God's love. And I asked God afterwards, what was that all about? And he said, you felt an infinitesimal little bit of the love I have for you and for your nation and the sadness I feel that this nation that I love has rejected my kingdom rule and abandoned me. That's God's love. That's God's love. That's our prayer battle. You know, we say, oh, I just love the old songs about his love. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of your love. Leading onward, leading homeward, homeward to my glorious rest above. Um, it's just... It's, and those hymns, you know, those, those old hymns like, Here is love, vast of the ocean. Both of those came out of the Welsh Revival. When I survey the wondrous cross... I will offer up my life in spirit and in truth. When I sing that at home, Savior, what can be said? What can be sung? As a praise of your name for the things you have done. Oh, my words could not tell, not even in part, of the debt of love that is owed by this thankful heart. That every time I sing or read those words, just tears of love as I sense Jesus' presence and so on. There's so many songs that can touch you. Sing them, sing them. And my last point, last peak, is to be filled with all the fullness of God. Cheers, hallelujah, no. <laughs> I mean, think about it. 
God wants to fill you with all his fullness. Um, you can't imagine what that means. Fullness is God's perfect goodness, all his excellencies, and he excels in everything, as well as his empowering presence and all that God is, that amazing love. The fullness of perfection is the standard or level to which we are filled. What does that do for our low expectations of what is available to us in this life? This is the high point of Christian experience of God. It's a heavenly experience. It's as close as heaven that you'll get to on earth to be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm just going to leave you with that. God dwelling us in all his fullness. And he, he does it because he wants to work in us too to transform transform all our thinking and our feelings and our wills. Uh, and I could go into a lot of stuff about that, but I'm not going to. Strive to reach those mountain peaks, strengthened by the Holy Spirit's power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, dealing with the things that displease Christ, the sin, experiencing his presence more and more. The second peak, strengthened by Holy Spirit power to grasp the immensity of God's love for you. Seeking to be filled with all the fullness of God. Seek daily to be filled with the Holy Spirit because we leak. We go on. We need to go on asking. Don't assume because you come to a church that's into the Holy Spirit and recognizes the kingdom kingdom spirit in our midst don't assume anything about your own life and we must never become complacent about it as a church we must go on daily seeking to be filled with the holy spirit do that and you i can promise you that you will be increasingly fulfilled and satisfied in your life and just one other thing that just come to mind all the yous in that passage, all the verbs are, plur, are, are you plural. This is about the church. Paul prays to the father of whatever and, and, and he speaks. It's all about plural. It's about church. It's about us together. And, you know, if we know the love of Christ, the place we know it is in the church loving one another. If we don't love one another, how are we going to love the world? Because we're reasonably nice people, aren't we? Well, some of you are very nice people, I'm sure. <laughs> but that's the reality. This is the place where we've got to be together, we've got to work together, we've got to pray together, we've got to study the Word together, we've got to encourage one another. I have a book I'm offering to anyone, the first one to get out of their seats can have it. It's called, it's by Rick Warren, it's called Better Together, What on Earth Are We Here For? You, it's daily readings, great stuff. Anybody want it? It's free. It's, I've read it. It's good. There, there you go. May it bless you. But there's a challenge. We must be here to serve one another, to serve the church, to get into a life group, to get find a 
find a job that you can do and don't limit yourself to what you're doing now and say, well, that's as far as I can go, really. I'm not gifted to be a life group leader. I'm not gifted to lead this or do that. God is able. He can do far more than you can imagine. You know, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all good work or every good work, but it's all. There's five alls there because God has so much to give us. Amen. I'm finished. Let's just be quiet for a moment. And Yeah, I've said a lot there, but those three mountain peaks, I want to encourage you to... I think I'm going to just pray over you that prayer from, from Ephesians. Let's just be quiet. Father, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, that you may grant us here to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And I pray that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in this church and in the church worldwide and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Where's our worship leaders? Maybe you can just lead some worship. And as we sing, just open your heart to God. Um, and if there's anything that's really touched your heart today, in any of those three areas or anything else, and you would just like to share it with someone, receive some prayer well you may have someone that you know well and you trust and you can share from your heart or you may just want to come out to the front here and there are people who will listen to and pray with you and do that just as we're worshiping together